Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Time, your go-to Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show... Leicester cauterised by rampant magpies and our new local hero, Blythe sharpshooter Daniel Byrne. Podcast mood rescued after a thoroughly miserable third round trip to Sheffield. And even the transfer news is an afterthought. We're in the cup semi-final, lads. Come on. Hello, this is Pod on the Tyne. I am Taylor Payne, and this week I'm hosting a trio of the Athletics' finest NUFC correspondent, Chris Woff, senior writer George Cogan, and new kid on the pod, Jacob Whitehead. Jacob, welcome. Nice to have you on. Pleased to be here. And Jacob, your, your official title isn't new kid on the pod. What is your... You're a proper serious journalist, aren't you? What's your official title for the Athletic? I must say that I don't I don't know, and no one has actually told me. <laughs> I, I, I was a junior news editor, and now I just said, go and cover Newcastle but I'm, de- I'm definitely not senior enough to even be Newcastle correspondent. Junior magpie yeah. I reckon I am a junior magpie like my, my knowledge is not yet in a place where I can with any good faith call myself a Newcastle correspondent but magpie in training. <laughs> Excellent would that yeah work? that would work yeah. Have you replaced Chris as George's man? Fetch me my man. Oh, you know, he needs two. He needs two people now to do that for me. So now, now Newcastle are getting into cup semi-finals. Oh, lads, how are we doing, Chris? How are you? Are you all right? Did you have a good night last night? I did, thank you. Yeah, I have literally not slept, but that Brilliant. is not necessarily a bad thing. What well, the one thing I would pull up on? You could refer to someone as Daniel Byrne. Who is that? I only know of a big Dan Byrne, who we all love. Big Dan Byrne, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yes, I'm very, very good. How are you? I'm not bad. I tell you what, what a game, what a night. It was amazing. George, how are you feeling? Are you okay? You got a bit emotional, a bit dusty-eyed last night, didn't you? Oh, totally, totally. I was. Um, what do you mean? Not just all do the song. He's You're never from ever going fly. He's never. Um, that was awful. Um, I'd like to apologise on behalf of the podcast. Semi-professional singer over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't even do that. Um, Oh, but it was amazing when the goal went in. I, I did feel choked. I, I felt choked at that point. Um, I think that was a reflection of sort of just all the emotion yeah. that was actually in there. And it was getting tense. The game was getting very tense. And then at the end, brilliant. And like Chris, not slept a lot. I was also at Hillsborough, as we'll come on to yes. talk about, and that was less good. But yeah, that was last night was the biggest game of the season. It was the biggest game at Newcastle for a very long time. I won't brook any argument on that. And um, yeah, they're through. Fantastic. It's the first time this has happened for a whole generation of people. Something I can't remember, 1976, the last League Cup semi-final. Just so exciting. Brilliant. Brilliant. 
Absolutely. Well, listen, you, you three guys were all at the match last night. We've got a little bit of audio for you. Uh, let's have a listen to this. This is the story of the evening. So it's just before quarter past seven. The team news is out and Eddie Howe has promised has gone strong. He's made reverse eight changes he made at Sheffield Wednesday and gone back to the team over at Arsenal. So I'm here. We are a trio here tonight. So I'm here with Jacob Whitehead who is making his St. James's Park debut. How are you feeling ahead of this one, Jacob? Pretty mellow with this music which is playing right now. It's hardly sort of a blood and thunder you'd expect less than an hour before kickoff. But uh, I'm feeling a lot more pessimistic about the result than George and Chris, I think. I mean, Leicester are a good cup team, and this is my third game. I haven't seen Newcastle win just yet. Well, I am optimistic. I'm going for a 2 1 victory at this point, so we will get George's opinion in just a little while. So we've had enough of Jacob and his pessimism before the game. Here's Cheery George. George, how are you feeling ahead of what is one of Newcastle United's biggest cup games in probably two decades? Well, my nipples are stiffening as we uh, speak, but that's because I've come outside without my coat on, mainly. Um, that's a horrible image for people to consider, isn't it? I'm, I'm totally excited. I'm, but I also feel quite relaxed at this point. I don't, I don't really understand that. I, mind you, I felt the same at Sheffield Wednesday. I felt that Newcastle were going to win that, and I got that very wrong. But I feel this is absolutely the right team that he's picked. He's got Eddie Howe's gone absolutely as strong as possible, and it feels like a massive, massive, massive match for me. This is the biggest game of the season, no doubt about it. It's a chance to win a trophy. That has to be the priority. I don't care what anyone says about top four, Champions League. I'm just really excited. Under the lights, yeah, bring it on. I'm, I feel, I feel good. Chris, what's happened to me? That was George's attempt at a short little uh, preview to the game there. But yes, we are approaching kickoff now and I will bring you some noise from War Flags a little bit. It's seven minutes before kickoff and I'm just going to stop speaking other than to say that War Flags bring your scarf campaign. It's very much up and running and St. James's Park is quite the sight right now. So it's half time and Jacob and I have just retreated into the press room. It is Newcastle United nil, Leicester City nil. Newcastle started well, didn't really take any of the chances and then Leicester have come back into it a little bit. Uh, Jacob, how have you found that first 45 minutes of football you've watched at St James's Park? Atmosphere was brilliant coming out, all the scarves, quite sights, but it felt for a while like Newcastle were really kind of building the chances that that support deserved, but they just all happened to fall to Sean Longstaff and it didn't quite pay off. Uh, there is one uh, point blank volley, I suppose, which he kind of studded into the ground and another last shot brilliantly saved by Ward and you feel like if they'd fallen to any other midfielder or forward, obviously, that they'd be going in. Leicester still looking like more of a danger on the break rather than actually controlling the game, but 
Albright and Dakar, they're both really good options on the break, seem to always pick the right options. It's really keeping Newcastle honest. Well, my task today has been to watch Jason Tindall on the touchline. He hasn't been particularly animated so far. There have been a few bits and bobs here and there. He's been in the fourth official's ear a few times, but hopefully there's a controversial incident or two which goes in Newcastle's favour in the second half and makes that more exciting. So the teams are just about to come out for the second half and we are going to try and get a very, very short comment from George Colkin about what he has seen thus far. Well, now I'm absolutely shitting myself. So I thought it was going to be 9-0 for Newcastle just before kickoff, and now missed all those chances. And they've not fallen to the right people. And I feel a bit of trepidation in the air. Taking one of those would have been different. I'm just, I've just got that. I've just got that tremor of fear now. 2-0 Newcastle win. Isak to score the winner. That's what I'm going for now. Fingers crossed. So what I'm hoping is about to happen here, we're about 10 minutes after this game has finished, the players have just gone down the tunnel, Dan Byrne leading them, fist pumping and hugging people as he went, massive beaming smile on his face and what I want to happen now is I want George Colgan to cry when I speak to him because he's already getting emotional. So George, how are you feeling right now? I, I am genuinely feeling quite choked actually and um, yeah, seeing seeing that moment when he scored that goal was just fantastic he's a great fella athletic readers will know all about him from your brilliant interview with him Chris and uh, got to hang out with him a bit during the World Cup just an absolutely fabulous moment and suddenly this team and this club are in you, you called it yourself in uncharted territory it's the first time for a generation they've been in a semi-final first time since 76 in a League Cup final difficult to get your head around it that turned out to be brilliant and yeah just uh, I can feel it. I can feel it. There are. I can see that the, his eyes look a bit dusty right now. But uh, just, just finally, George Newcastle United in a two-legged semi-final. This is unprecedented for you as well. How, how do you feel going into that? Well, no. I mean, you know, this happened at the very beginning of my life. Um, but obviously, I can't remember. I can't remember '76 at all. Yeah, it's. It does feel very. It does feel very weird. I was at Hillsborough at the weekend, and that was sort of a very familiar feeling that disappointment in the third round of the FA Cup and this feels like something completely you know completely different again I think you know where Newcastle are in the league is is ex extraordinary and exceptional but I've kind of seen that it feels like a very very long time since having that sort of night having that sort of this sort of feeling when you know you're just a couple of games away from something that really none of us or very very few of us have seen in our lifetime they've not you know they've not won something since 69 they've not won a domestic cup since 55 we're entitled to dream about this to, to dream about the team again that's that's very special I didn't actually quite make him cry but there are tears in his eyes so I will accept victory on that front 
from an emotional George Culkin to our debutant uh, Jacob Whitehead. It's just about 15 minutes after the end of the game now. You can just hear some people in the uh, private boxes further behind. There's a lot of uh, black and white flags left flooded around the stadium. Jacob, you are no longer a curse as we feared you might be because the draw at Arsenal and then the, the defeat at Sheffield Wednesday. Historic night for Newcastle United. How was your first experience of St James's Park? I think firstly I'd like to push back against a curse notion. Three games is far too small a sample size to actually start to take any sort of conclusions. Um, oh, you can just tell how much this means. I mean, seven to 18 years now without a semi-final. And... <laughs> So always the longer a wait goes on, kind of more tense and nervous is whenever stuff doesn't quite go your way. And it'd be so easy for the stadium to have, if not gone players' backs, but kind of start to fret when those chances weren't going in. And is the perfect player to actually dispel those fears and Dan Burns sliding in. And then just after that, it's a party atmosphere. And just finally, in terms of what you were expecting tonight from St James's Park, the atmosphere what were you expecting and did it deliver well mind last time I was here I was way up supporting Everton in a 1-0 away win it was quite a different atmosphere from sort of the doldrums of the Steve Bruce days um, whereas now you just kind of I think I knew that it was going to be pretty amazing with the flags and the scarves and that all getting built up but it's just sort of a dull noise a static noise which you that was it more, almost more than the sight for me just the kind of eardrum splitting noise of it all well that is me Jacob and George signing off from St James's Park just to repeat again Newcastle United are in their first semi-final since 2005 only their second ever League Cup semi-final what a night Ah, oh, what an absolutely belting night, Jake. I'm going to come to you first. It's your first experience in St. James's Park. I'm actually really jealous of you getting no experience in James's Park for the first time. How was it? You know when you're a kid and you get that kind of seeing green pitch for the first time? It was kind of that sort of feeling when just that noise just hit it. Like, it's the first time in a long time, I remember, where the noise stops being noise and it just almost just kind of gives you that fuzziness, that dull kind of noise in your ear. When that first goal went in, just that release... Yeah, it's pretty special. Yeah, it was something else. That atmosphere was amazing, George, wasn't it? The the scarves and the flags at the start, the build-up, everything. Even after Saturday, the the tension was there as well. There was a bit of trepidation. It was it was set up perfectly for a cup quarter final under the lights, wasn't it? It just looked beautiful. The whole thing looked and sounded beautiful. Alex Hurst from True Faith, one of our one of our mates, did a, did a lovely tweet. I mean, it was after the event, but he'd he'd recorded that bit where the flags uh, where the scarves are going at the start, and he said Leicester were never ever going to beat this. And of course, that's easy to say in hindsight after we've beaten them and there were a few nervy, but it just did have that feeling of power and um, yeah, it was just it's that's that's just how you think of. St James is how you think it should be and how it always is and of course it isn't but yeah just brilliant and um, they delivered they delivered on, on on a massive night so good they absolutely did Chris you were struggling to make yourself heard in that little report at the top there the noise was was deafening how are you how's your vocal cords today was it alright did you enjoy yourself well there's another level of incompetence that I've shown that I'm not great at actually recording at the match even though I was tasked with doing that by Ollie <laughs> I mean actually it was a bit of a as wonderful as the night was in terms of my working capacity for the reason that, that I was meant to be there turned into a bit of a disaster. So my job initially 
was that I was going to watch Jason Tyndall for 90 minutes, Mad Dog Tyndall, and I am at some point going to write that piece, but it just was not a Mad Dog Tyndall night. He was no, frustratingly calm, even despite all the situations. It was actually Howe who was more agitated. Howe was far more animated than I've seen him in a long, long while, or potentially ever as Newcastle manager. You could see how much he knew and how important he knew this game was for Newcastle. So I was watching the dugout for a lot of the game, so I followed them closely. But then the match itself, I mean, Newcastle started, I thought they really, really were inspired by the crowd. They almost fed off that, and it was the first five minutes they were absolutely on it. But it was almost like first Longstaff's miss and then a couple of other sort of chances went begging. And, and the energy sapped out with them a little bit, I thought, during the, yeah. first, the first half wore on. Leicester grew into it more. They had a couple of openings. Pope made a couple of good interventions, made a, an all right save, wasn't a particularly difficult one. And it was almost like Newcastle needed half-time for that reset because I thought they lost their way a bit for the, for the first half and they needed that sort of second coming almost, which is exactly, obviously, what happened after the break. Yeah, first half profligacy, Jacob. It was a couple of chances early doors. Sean Longstaff really should have scored and you felt like the chances were maybe falling to the wrong, the wrong players in the wrong positions. But Newcastle eventually managed to find a way through after half-time, but that first half was breathless, wasn't it? Yeah, there seems to be something about I'm not, this is not the time to knock Eddie Howe's system, but there's something strange about the way that the best chances seem to keep falling to central midfielders, where Callum Wilson had been doing all of this running, all of this work, barely got kind of an actual sight of goal. Instead, Sean Longstaff could have had a first half hat trick, but at least they were all kind of snapshots, kind of rushed mistakes rather than a real kind of lack of quality. You know, it's kind of studs getting hit ahead of getting mistimed it, it it could have been fatal but it wasn't you know we'll come on to missing chances in in big cup games later on back in a more this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Halftime, George, and it felt like it was sort of going to be another one of those nights, and Eddie Howe probably had a good chat to the lads at half time and, and 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 tried to keep them going and keep making those chances he said on the television and the in the coverage afterwards that it wasn't about the chances that we missed and it wasn't about missing the chances it was creating those chances and getting into those positions that was the important thing well that's something that Alan Shearer will always tell you it's the um I mean you know he'll he'll be speaking about life as a center forward he says I don't care about missed chances I care I care when the chances don't come and so uh, you know eventually you would back the side to to, to start conversing but as Chris said you had that little bit of feeling that mm, okay Leicester have had a couple of breaks there and momentum can change of course and so if Leicester had taken a chance then it would have become a different game and it could have, or if Newcastle hadn't gone ahead when they did you could have seen it becoming more and more nervy because it is it's uncharted territory for this for this team it's uncharted territory for a generation of fans and people who can remember it you know know what happens at the end you know so we all have this sort of history the, the the team, one of the things that is so brilliant about the team is that week upon week upon week, they're putting all that stuff to one side. They're not bothered about that. You know, Howe has come in and has talked about winning and has talked about winning something, has talked about dreams, all that language that had gone 
and been forgotten or that we put to one side because we just had to. It was less painful. Um, and they found they found a way through. Yeah, I mean, it was it was fabulous. And we should have said right at the start, Jacob's written this beautiful piece about last night in our Cup Odyssey series, which carries on. Yes, come on. But I would recommend everybody to read that. As he says, do not adjust the dial. Newcastle United are into the first Cup semi-final for 18 years, and when the picture sputters back into focus, there will be Dan Byrne dancing. <laughs> Amazing stuff, yes. I uh, really would have felt like a curse there if kind of first Cup Odyssey piece Newcastle had lost, and I four <laughs> times I'd seen Newcastle United play. They failed to win, so purely for selfish reasons, incredibly glad about last night's results. I actually got to write about a win for the first time on Tyneside. It took us months and months of doing this podcast before we had that kind of luck. So it's, <laughs> it's nice that it's happened to you early doors. And like we said, half time came and went. Uh, and then that Dan Byrne moment. Here's clearance blocked by Byrne. Castagna plays it against Willock, who wins it back. And Joel Inton and Byrne in the area. Dan Byrne! Oh! Chris Wolf, man. Chris, what a moment. I've been waiting for Dan Byrne to put the ball in the net. His big, massive, grinning face running towards the Gallagher end, towards the corner where his family was sitting in the box. Honestly, dude, I jumped off the sofa. I was watching the game in the house last night, and I know George got emotional last night. I had a bit of a, a tear in my eye watching Dan Byrne run away celebrating. That was just incredible, and what a way to score your first goal for Newcastle. Yeah, I'm not even embarrassed to say that I did watch it about five o'clock this morning when I hadn't had any sleep whatsoever with the commentary, and there was actually a tear in my eye just watching. You could, I could feel, I could actually feel the hairs on my arms like stand up. And I know that's a cliche, but I could actually at that moment I did feel it. It was looking back at it, and and, and at the moment in time, it it was it was like an outpouring of, of relief as much as celebration, anything else. That that goal, but also then everyone sort of realised it was Dan Byrne who scored it. And the, the goal itself was a thing of beauty. It's a really, really, really good goal. It starts from Dan Byrne pressing high as well. Sorry, I'll tell you lots of voice there. From Dan Byrne. <laughs> You're starting to cry. You're starting, starting to cry, to cry Chris. Yeah. To hold it together, Chris. Tears like wow. dropping on the microphone. But it, it w- was interesting having observed Tyndall yesterday is how much he screams and leads the in terms of leading the press, in terms of shouting at the players to lead the press. And he was shouting at that moment. Byrne presses. Newcastle win the ball very much in the Leicester third. Willick who's been pressing high as well and had another very, very good game, lays it back to Joel Linton, who was fantastic, and then the ball comes through. And then Byrne just keeps going. He like just bustles his way through two uh, defenders and then really, really calm finish with the, with his right foot as well. And, and just, yeah, you could see he didn't know what to need. He admitted afterwards he did not know what to do uh, afterwards and he just kept sprinting. And then because re- he... he, he, <laughs> he ran out of pitch, didn't he? Yeah, he ran out of pitch because he said it all the way through his life. He's basically dre- dreamt of... Alan Shearer celebration, but instead, what he did was he just kept he just kept running and just had to had to knee slide. And yeah, there was the the the, the raw inside St James's after that goal was just something to behold. I think you like that just running kind of celebration. It's a bit kind of Tardelli esque, where you just kind of sprint and don't know what to do. Yeah, 
It's incredible. It, it was just like his, his body just gave up and he just had to keep going and then he dropped to his knees, didn't he? It was brilliant stuff. George, what a moment. Dan Byrne, you'll never beat him, will you? He's from Blythe, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it was brilliant. And there was it was just that. It was just that emotional, huge emotional moment. And I think we feel it because, you know, he feels it. So obviously, I've said this before, he plays as if, you know, he plays every game as if it's his first for Newcastle or his last for Newcastle. He's just got that total energy it's a cliche but he's living that dream if you know I always go back to that that brilliant interview that Chris did with him last season when he talked about the takeover happening and being with his dad and saying oh well that's you know that's my last chance of moving to Newcastle gone it's just a fantastic story just and he you know that smile when he scored and it was just a beautiful beautiful thing and of course it it's always very special when a local local lad comes comes good and you know does it does it but he's done it in such a kind of mazy fashion um but yeah brilliant brilliant to see but brilliant to be part of and he was just absolutely buzzing afterwards we both chatted to him he was just absolutely he was absolutely flying it was brilliant and Chris, the second goal. I mean, I don't think we have set pieces from throw-ins, but if it, it almost was like a throw-in set piece, wasn't it? The ball into Wilson, he held it up brilliantly. Miguel Almiron took it on and slid it through to Joe Linton, who finished cleanly into that bottom corner. It was a fantastically worked goal, wasn't it? And Eddie Howe and Jason Tindall celebrated like madmen on the touchline as well. Yeah, I mean, Wilson, again, wasn't particularly focal to anything that happened to them. He wasn't central to what Newcastle did, but he was in that moment and he showed what he can do where he basically dragged the defenders up for a start. He held them off, flicks it round. Almiron surges inside, which is not usually what he does from that supposition. He would usually be going wide, but he decided to, to sort of come through the middle and and played the pass very, very early and it was basically inch perfect. Yeah. And the confidence going through Joe Linton at the moment for him to actually have taken that shot on because if you see the wide angle, Alexander Isak is absolutely open in the middle. And if, if Joe Linton hadn't scored, then I think a lot of people would have been saying he has to square the ball, he has to give it to Isak for a tap-in to seal the game. But Joe Linton was, I thought he was phenomenal. He was my man of the match. Be, except I'd give it to Dan Burns just for the emotional because I thought he was brilliant as well. But, but Joe Linton at the minute <laughs> yeah. is just... I mean, he, he played on Saturday. He was one of the few players who... He was one of the only three players who'd been retained. And the ground he covers and the amount <sighs> of work he's doing. But now, in an attacking sense, he is adding to his game and he is adding end product. And it was such a good finish. And yeah, I was delighted for him. Not quite as much as Dan Byrne, but still absolutely delighted for Joe Linton because he just, you could see what it meant to him as well. And Bruno and his <laughs> celebrations immediately afterwards. He was absolutely loving that. Absolutely. And George, other great showings in the game as well. Chris just mentioned Bruno there. He got man on the match. Um, Joe Willock, I thought, had a great game. I thought some of his running was fantastic. And his, his direct running with the ball has really come on leaps and bounds this year. He's proven himself to be a great player as well. Yes, and uh, well, Chris, Chris talking about watching Jason Tyndall, who spent most of the match screaming at uh, Joe Willock, which is it was very funny. I mean, but I think he is one of those players who needs that, um, who needs that sort of person shouting at him to tell him to maintain his concentration, to tell him when to push and press. But he did, he responded. But I thought they were all good. Perhaps Callum Wilson still groping for fitness a little bit, but then suddenly you're in that position where Isak can come off the bench, when St. Maximan can come off the bench too. And, you know, that was comforting in its own ways that suddenly, okay, fine, we saw at the weekend that Newcastle don't have a huge amount of strength and depth. But if you're talking about 11 players, 12 players, 13, 14 players, they do, you know, they have that kind of core of 
quality now, which is kind of which is good. But everyone everyone played a part. Everyone played a part. Yeah, and Jacob, it looked like a bit of a stronger bench last night as well. And obviously Alexander Isak came on, Anson Maximin came on late. Newcastle kept pushing right till the end, didn't they? And they were unlucky not to score more as well. They had lots of shots. I think it was twenty two shots in to- in total that Newcastle had last night. They were unfortunate not to not to come away with a lot more. Yeah, and they. The thing I was most impressed when all these substitutions came on was just quite how much to press all stayed in shape. 2-0 up, heading for in a cup semi-final, you'd kind of expect it to fall off a bit and that just didn't happen there, winning the ball back high up the pitch so much. Um, there's also a lovely moment in the first half I noticed actually where St. Maximan, Lascelles um, and Isaac were all just warming up on the side of the pitch. Trippier hit a, a long diagonal which ended up going out but all three of those subs... Lascelles in his sort of trademark yellow card substitute position, just were absolutely <laughs> mind blown by by this kind of volleyed diagonal kind of applause and kind of seeing kind of a hundred million of talent uh, stood on the sideline just kind of clapping that from the captain. It is a really nice kind of team spirit thing, considering especially that two players of those three would have probably been slightly disappointed not to be starting a, a big game like this. And that team spirit, Chris, was evident, wasn't it, in the the post-match shenanigans in the dressing room, which made it onto Sky Sports. Dan Byrne doing his dance, Eddie Howe with a little speech. It was nice to get that little bit of behind-the-scenes footage that we wouldn't normally see. Uh, I I think Dan Byrne's going to take some stick for that for a little while, isn't he? Oh, he is. I mean, the fact that the hilarious (laughs) thing that was that Howe revealed that he hadn't actually asked him to dance what he'd asked he'd given a sort of really short post-match team talk how and he'd said I want you to remember two key things about tonight first of all getting to the semi-final of a major cup competition and the second one is Dan Byrne scoring in front of the Gallagher end and everyone claps in the dressing room you can see this footage on the uh, Sky Sports tweeted out but then also uh, somebody shouts dance don't they yeah somebody so how, how's, actually, how's actually saying to him to 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 do is give a speech, but someone else in the in the changing room, he doesn't we don't know who it was, shouted dance, and that's all Byrne heard. So Byrne stands up and just does his his five second dance or whatever it is, which is going to now be synonymous with him for the rest of his life. So did he definitely not just mishear someone shouting Dan and just decide to start <laughs> dancing? Because I think that's kind of a potentially funnier way that he started doing this yeah. was completely unprompted. Oh, it was brilliant, George. I mean, I mean, those scenes in the dressing room afterwards, we got a little bit of footage of the the team photo being taken as well. It's clear the spirit is there for all to see, isn't it? Yeah, brilliant. And um, yeah, he just he just loves being part of it. I'm not sort of, you know, questioning his dedication and professionalism because they're right up there. But um, if you remember, he came into the athletic office during the World Cup and uh, watched a match with us, watched Germany, Spain with us. Anyway, I sort of at some point we were just maybe we're walking to the tube afterwards and I just said something daft and, you know, like a fan, I just said something like, you know, I fucking love this team. And he said, me too, mate, me too. And, you know, it's like that. It's genuine, isn't it? It's just, it's it's like perfect. It's just like that's, it. you know, he is doing, he is doing what we would be doing if only we could, you know. And <laughs> you get that, you get that, you get that feeling. Um, and no, I mean, the dance was hilarious, but... What, that's one thing that you can consistently say about this team. It's just it's really precious um, for all the money that's been spent. Um, you know that they've kept that connection to each other. There is still that same energy and um, character that brought them up 
a few years ago and kept them there. You see that in Jamal Lascelles getting his bookings on the side of the pitch. You know, the captain who doesn't play anymore, barely plays anymore, um, but is still part of it. You know, Matt Ritchie and, and play it dumb it, people who aren't part of the team anymore, but um, it's massively still part of it behind the scenes. That is still there. And the new players that have come into it have bought into it. And um, of course, you know, uh, you know, teams that are winning do have good spirits. You know, that's 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 like obvious because it it breeds it. But that same kind of philosophy and ethos has stayed with them, and it's still there now. And it's yeah, it's it's on. It's so good. It's so good to see. Brilliant. Well, chops. What better way to finish this little section off than to hear from the man of the hour himself on his uh, post-match dressing room jig? I didn't realize the gaffer wanted to do a speech, and someone shouted dance. So I just said that. Well then, talk us through that moment. Yeah, like, I can't really remember it to be honest. But, um, yeah, like I just uh, like trying to get forward and stuff, and took a good touch and took a swing at it, and it's gone in. But it was just a bit of a blur after that. I was just sprinting and finally ran out of pitch, so I had to do something. So just took the knee slide in. But it's good because all my family sitting in that box and stuff as well. So for it to be uh, that side and stuff, just I get quite a lot of stick for not scoring enough goals. I missed a sit out with a header and stuff as well. But uh, yeah, no one can sort of take that away from us now. I think what you dream of when you're a kid being a Newcastle fan scoring in front of the Gallagher so to do that in, in a pretty important game uh, is massive I said like we've, we've made a big thing about it this season that we wanted to sort of win something and give back to the fans a little bit so yeah whoever we get in the semi-final is going to be um, it's going to be tough over two legs but yeah we're just absolutely buzzing to get through Lovely stuff right then some essential reading at The Athletic right now uh, it's from Ed Mackey and it's called When the Hell is the Carabao Cup semi-final draw Chris when is it? It's tonight isn't it? It is it takes place after tonight's uh, matches which means I mean in theory those games will be finished by about 10pm but actually it will take place probably at like 11 because they'll faff on for ages they and do. just talk about a load of rubbish so by 11pm GMT tonight we should know who Newcastle's semi-final two-legged opponents are mm, it could be a Manchester derby or would you rather have one of the Manchester teams over to St James's Park it's, uh, it's a big call that one isn't it anyway uh, there is loads of stuff going on from the whole gang at the minute so you can pick up a subscription to The Athletic and pay one ninety nine a month for our first year uh, at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod we'll be back in a little bit Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So those half-time nerves that we spoke about on Tuesday night were perhaps understandable given what happened on Saturday at tea time. 
Newcastle United out of the FA Cup at Sheffield Wednesday. Jacob, it just didn't come together for Eddie Howe's men, did it? No, I mean, just, I think it's very similar to almost in a way what happened at St. James's last night, in that as soon as Wednesday hit the lead at Hillsborough, those fans just started to get so much belief. I think the first goal was at a pretty similar time of the game, but the real difference, I think, for Newcastle, which is why Saturday was slightly more concerning, was that those chances which fell towards Newcastle fell to the feet of the people you'd wanted to have had them. Isaac, suppose Chris Wood, those were all ones you would expect to be taken. There was a bit of hope, I guess, when Bruno pulled one back, but it, it, it never quite felt on in that second half. And, and Wednesday was still pushing forward on the break quite late. Windass hit the bar. A deserved win for Sheffield Wednesday. But by the end of the game, I'd sort of already been told to get onto the Sheffield Wednesday beats to cover them, which felt a little bit turncoat of me for my second game covering Newcastle. Proper glory hunter, Jacob. It's like you just go to with whichever team's winning. I mean, astonishing. But um, you know, we've had we've had to do decades of misery. You know, that have got us here. You just go with whoever's winning. Wow. I'm I'm no Newcastle fan. I think I'll put my allegiance where Sheffield Wednesday are hardly a glory hunting team. Would be the argument, <laughs> but. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Fair play, yeah. I mean, George, we, the, the BBC absolutely love seeing Newcastle booted out of the FA Cup, don't they? they? They positively revel in it. Um, I'm sure Ronnie Radford's goal must have got played at some point. It always does. I think one of their punditry team didn't revel in it too much, but um, that was quite nice. I was able to um, I was able to text Alan, Alan from work as we call him, Jacob, whilst he was getting that nice, nice uh, ovation from the away end and saying, I was waving at you. Uh, what was his yes. reply, George? Was it, who's this? Yeah, it was like it was like who's this followed by the right arm <laughs> up emoji, which is what he does for which is what he does for everything. I, yeah, I was in the away end and I loved most of that experience or a lot of that experience in the sense that I was writing about it. I wanted to do that sort of on the Cup Odyssey beat. Didn't work out how we wanted it, but just love being part of those of those scenes. Um, but yeah, it was it was kind of very disappointing. I mean, I know. Yeah, and Newcastle's record, you know, in the in the FA Cup, it's just that it's the one part of the club that hasn't caught up <laughs> um, post takeover. You know, if you look at their record post two thousand and seven, they've gone out of the cup in the third round on ten occasions. I mean, that's extraordinary. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, that is extraordinary. And then it's six at the fourth round, and so it felt very familiar in that sense. Now, I would, I would, and you know, when you also put in with that the change team eight changes it felt very familiar in that sense but I would have a big caveat with that because previously in previous seasons you've gone into those games and it's that horrible sensation it's the it's the FA Cup third round it should be a magical day it should be a big day it should be one of the most exciting and different days in the calendar and at Newcastle we know what's going to happen and we know that if they do get past the first game, then they'll probably go out on the second game and that the club wasn't built and it wasn't even willing to have a go in the cup. Now, the difference is, and I thought it was quite a big difference, that the mood at Hillsborough in the away end was of, no, we're here to win this game. You know, we're going to try and win this game. And so that's maybe just a slight change in attitude. It might be something that I'm kind of inflating far too far, but it felt different. The expectation, word I hate, felt like we are here to win this game. And if there's a disappointment from it, 
it's because it felt like a shock because we're so used to seeing Newcastle winning at the moment. You know, it felt like a big shock happening to a big club on third round day as opposed to just the usual miserable, you know, farting and leaving in room kind of thing. Um, so there was, there was a slight, you know, there was a slight difference in that sense. But yeah, I mean, I totally understand why Eddie Howe made a lot of changes. If you take a step back, and again, I hate thinking the FA Cup in these terms, but that was the third on the list of priorities over that week. It had to be the League Cup first for me. And, you know, obviously very important Premier League games around it with them third in the table. And because they were playing a League One side, he had to make changes. Possibly too many changes. Possibly there was too much rustiness. But anyway, thank goodness they got through last night to make amends. I did think it was too many changes and how can now turn around and say, well, we've got through in the League Cup and it, it worked in that sense and it, and it worked perfectly. But I thought eight was too many. I think five or six. It, the, the the thing that you have to look at how so far is before last night's win, the performances in cup competitions under Howe hadn't been very good and there was a lot of mitigation for that. Obviously, the Cambridge United defeat came in that time. But even the earlier rounds of the League Cup, whenever he's made changes, Newcastle made changes at Tranmere, made very hard work of it. Yeah. They made changes against Palace, and we're very fortunate to go through on penalties. He then put out his strongest team, essentially, against Bournemouth. And again, they still struggled, but they managed to get through. And when he does have to make so many changes, you can see the rhythm completely goes. And it's A, because the players haven't played very much. Someone like Jamal Lewis, who you could just looked like a player who hadn't played. And he, he's barely played football in a long while. B, you've, there's questionable quality in, in a lot of places. I know Jacob Murphy came in for a lot of criticism, but there was a lot of other players. Chris Wood obviously missing a chance when well, he came on, but there were yeah. there were there were other issues there in terms of across the pitch. I think Elliot Anderson maybe showed that he could do with playing more regular football. But you also have a stylistic issue. So when Jamal Lascelles comes in at right centre back, suddenly you don't have someone who's as competent in possession as Fabian Share. He takes longer on the ball, and I thought there was maybe just a, cu- a couple of changes. And I, I can't criticise Eddie, and I'm not criticising him because they went and then won the more important game. And, and I'm mentioned and Jacob mentioned in his piece that there's all there was almost parallels to a certain degree with 2013 when Alan Pardew had the Europa League quarterfinal second leg against Benfica closely followed by the derby and he, and he didn't know whether to stick or twist and basically almost like split his teams for the two games and didn't win in either Eddie Howe maybe focused more on the League Cup and succeeded in that sense so after the fact I think that the, the FA Cup defeat has been softened a little bit because Newcastle have managed to get to a cup semi-final which is huge so I do think it was maybe one or two changes too many but the fact that they've got through to to a semi-final for the first time since 2005 the first League Cup semi-final since 1976 I can't really criticise yeah, that's a massive achievement. Jacob, the, the, the second goal on, on the day, the Wednesday second goal, probably took the wind out of Newcastle's sails, didn't it? And it, it, it seemed to seal our fate on the on the day. Uh, is, it, is it a case of just a little bit of lack of depth in the squad or, or do you think Eddie Howe kind of made, made too many changes? It was a bit of a gamble from him, wasn't it? I think the second goal is actually a, a bit of a weird one because if you look at kind of where the mistake was made for that, it was kind of Joe Linton and Bruno both failing to kind of juggle the ball in midfield before, I think, uh, Newcastle supporting forward Michael Smith. I think he was born in Wolves End, playing a perfect ball through to Windass. So in that sense, it wasn't so much... It was more senior players letting Newcastle down for that goal in particular. I think for the first goal, it was Byers, Cruyff turning, uh, 
Anson and Longstaff on, on halfway, which looks like it was a really good press before Baez's kind of brilliance there. I'm slightly remiss to say too many changes, purely in the fact that players do need minutes and we know Newcastle's squad's thin and if there's an injury, these players are going to be dropped into the league and asked to play potentially a long run of minutes. And so if you've decided to prioritise the second game, the League Cup game, which if you look at the result now, looks like it was the right idea, actually giving these players an opportunity in the FA Cup, trusting them, that trust can be quite an important motivational tool. You saw kind of this week how big kind of... uh, support and spirit from the bench was I don't necessarily think it was too many changes I think the side did enough to win the number of chances they had in the first half they could have been two or three nil up it was just one of them you're right they should have won regardless they, they, they had they had about eight clear-cut chances and they, sh- they should have won regardless I don't disagree with that and I thought Isak 45 minutes looked sharp two good chances for, for someone him who well. hadn't played since September he yeah. had two good chances but but for someone who hasn't played since September I thought it was all around player looked sharp but Newcastle had the opportunities, Chris Woods, he should have scored when Chris Wood was played clean through. I mean, what was so frustrating about that was Joe Linton did so well because not only did he actually lay on a wonderful pass, he had to wait before he passed he the ball the to defender, him. Because, didn't he? Because, yeah. But also because that was because Chris Wood was offside to begin with and didn't get back onside quick enough, so he drew the defender. So that was frustrating. But yeah, you're right. I just think one or two fewer changes, maybe in hindsight, but as I say, after the fact... Eddie Howe's got Newcastle to a League Cup semi-final, and so it worked in that sense. By the way, one of the very one of the um, kind of well, I found it kind of quite sweet, in spite of this sort of disappointment. In the row right behind me, in the away end at Hillsborough, there was a mum and a dad and a little boy, maybe I don't know six or seven. And it turned out he was at his first away match with Newcastle, and when the second goal went in, he was absolutely in bits. He was crying, and. Um, I was like turning around and I was saying, but it's okay, it's okay, like we're mint, we're mint now, it's okay, you know, we're good, we're good, it's going to be okay. And his mum said, oh, he just, he just hates losing. And I sort of, it just made me, it kind of made me happy in that sense, because here's this little lad who's, you know, six or seven, and he only remembers Newcastle being good. (laughs) And it's like, it's like normally in the past, you would have like made jokes and sort of said, you know, just welcome, you know, welcome to a lifetime of this son. You know, it's like good to get them started early with the misery. Absolutely. And, and, um, you know, I hope he was also at the game last night. Mind you, at 2-1, when Bruno got the goal back, he was on his seat again, standing up and chanting and cheering. But it was just like a very sweet, sort of nice moment that suddenly for this kid who's that age it's like Newcastle don't lose and here they were losing mind you when that first goal went in for Sheffield Wednesday it was a very strange feeling because it's been so long since Newcastle have con- had conceded a goal yeah you know yeah, I mean as- astonishing and we should obviously point out that you know Nick Pope didn't pay- didn't play in that game but um it was another clean sheet for him last night. And, um, you know, we're so used to seeing them not concede goals that the feeling of, oh, we've just we've just conceded a goal. I'm, I'm not sure how, how I'm supposed to feel about this. It's, it feels quite peculiar. Just thinking about that, the little boys. Well, I took my son to the Cambridge game and the, that we got knocked out of the FA Cup just to make sure that post-takeover, he still got his traditional shot of misery from Newcastle United. 
Uh, George, you were in the way end as well. What, what was your view of uh, of the steward and issues and the, the issues with fans getting into that Leppens Lane end? Um, it, it's been publicised a little bit on social media and Newcastle United Supporters Trust have asked for, for people with witness reports to get in touch with them. What was your view of that situation? Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of just want to be very careful and deliberate in the sort of language I use because, you know, I remember Hillsborough. Um, it happened when I was a teenager and it's something that sort of stayed with me. I have to be absolutely honest, when when I've gone to the ground, when I certainly when I was sort of waiting outside the away end to get in, you're just very conscious of where you are in Lepping Lane End. But I, I just, I sort of, I feel the need to be very careful in the language I use because it becomes so emotive and important when you're talking about where it is. So, overall, I didn't love the result. I didn't love the performance. I love being in the away end. I love being outside singing and being part of that. So my takeaway, in spite of the result and the performance, was that I loved being there and it was good. So that's that. However, kind of arriving at about half an hour before kickoff, there were queues bunched outside the away end and they were bunching kind of bottlenecking up to security who were passing everybody down. Now that was the first bit where I felt a bit uncomfortable because nobody quite knew what happened and this was like maybe 10-15 yards ahead of the actual entrances to the away end and we sort of didn't know what was happening. We we got funneled into that and that was a bit kind of peculiar and you know you're again you're conscious of where you are. It's very dark, it was pissing down with rain so it wasn't much fun and then I was in the upper stand so the specific stuff that people have talked about, the lower end and people being pushed together into that one entrance into the stadium and then fanning out wide, I can't speak of. However, I did go up the stairs and it's kind of their their rickety stairs with a corrugated roof and that takes you into the upper concourse. Now the upper concourse, I'm sorry, but to me it's not fit for purpose in a stand and a stadium that big because got in there, plenty of time and it's just very, very narrow, that upper concourse. So there were 4,500 Newcastle fans, you know, in the away end in total. And part of what I wanted to do, both professionally and personally, was I wanted to hang about in that concourse, you know, take a couple of pictures of people singing and dancing as usual, take some notes about what they were singing. And as soon as I got there, it was like, no, I'm, I just don't feel comfortable. It's the same, but it was the same sort of comfortable or uncomfortable that I felt walking past a pub and thinking, no, that's just too busy. I mean, I just won't enjoy myself in there. So I didn't feel unsafe, but I did feel really uncomfortable. And, you know, there's a, there's people pushing to kind of get to the gents on one side, there's a bar on the other, and sort of had to wade through all those people to get to the gangway. One of the daft things was I was with two other people and we were all together. I was tickets were all together but one person straddled the different gangways in terms of where his seat was and he was turned back and made to kind of go through all those people to go to the next gangway in order to then be able to come and sex to me if you know what I mean so I didn't like that feeling I wanted to get outside straight away I didn't go down into the concourse at half time and I waited at the end because I just didn't want to push through that again as it happened I did have to push through it again. It just—it's an old stadium, and that upper concourse, yeah, it, it wasn't nice. But 
I've seen a lot of sort of emotive language used, you know, words like crush and things like that. And I just, I wouldn't want to use that because that wasn't my experience. And I think it's so loaded and it comes with so much history and baggage when it comes to Hillsborough. I think the Supporters Trust have been very, very measured in what they've said afterwards, that they're not trying to draw conclusions. They do want to take evidence. So if people do have experiences of what it was like, I would urge them to get in in touch with the Supporters Trust. They can do that through Twitter initially and, you know, just explain their experiences. People shouldn't be feeling unsafe or uncomfortable in a football stadium in 2023, especially when there's lots of families there. Um, it's it's not right, but at the same time, it's worth pointing out, as far as we know, nobody was hurt, and that's a good thing. So, yeah, anyway, that was a very long answer, and I apologise, but I just wanted to sort of try and give a bit of perspective and explain how it was for me. Thanks for that, George. Uh, we'll be back in just a tick with a very brief transfer update before we say goodbye. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. So Dan Ashworth uh, ventured into the land of the Giants on Sky Sports uh, and he will have set tongues wagging with some of his phrasing. Uh, Jacob, uh, from your point of view, what have the last two games told us about Newcastle's squad and, and what we need to do going into this transfer window? Well, we know that Eddie Howe's after a couple of additions. He wants a number six and a young right back. I guess Shefford Wednesday told us a lot about the potential needs for more depth across the squad, even though I guess at right back, Javier Manquillo, I thought was actually one of the slightly better options of the, or had one of the better games of the replacements. I guess in a way it's just getting in that fresh blood into the squad. For depth, you don't want to feel like you have a drop off in quality, you want competition. And at the moment, it doesn't quite feel like Newcastle have that. Of course, it's a, a, a tough balance in terms of kind of preserving that team spirit, that optimism, not getting frustration in there. But I think Sheffield Wednesday just showed that the rotation, that ability is not quite there at the moment. And Chris, uh, Garan Kual has arrived as well, hasn't he? Uh, it's likely that he's going to leave soon. Edinburgh, uh, the likely destination with several Australian compatriots at heart. It's not 100% yet though, is it? It's it's basically very much looking that way. It seems to have, to have all basically been agreed. Um, some of the players at Hearts as well were also at Central Coast Mariners previously so I know that uh, there was encouragement from that side as well that he'd have some sort of familiarity uh, and yeah he's, 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 he arrived on Tyneside went straight up to Edinburgh pretty much he's in the way end at Arsenal he's been at the training ground doing work there as well but Eddie Howe doesn't yet see him as part of his first team plans he wants him to get experience he wants to get him experience primarily on loan in the UK I mean touching upon Dan Ashworth's comments before the game on Sky Sports I mean it was good to, to see him speak. I know a lot of fans were pleased to, to see the Newcastle sporting director would go live on TV and actually chat I thought that 
what he actually said wasn't particularly revelatory, but he's not going to go on and say we're trying to sign X, Y, and Z. Straight back, wasn't it? But what he did say, I thought was interesting that he went as strong as to say it would basically be remiss of us not to try and search to sign someone this month. He didn't say not to sign someone. He said to try and look to see if we can do something this month. Eddie Howe is keen to bring in reinforcements now. Ashworth focused on it again as, as they are above saying that the summer really is the priority in terms of making significant squad changes but how is having those conversations internally to see what Newcastle can do at the moment it's looking like loans potentially with options or obligations may be the most likely route forward they haven't had much interest in the fringe players so getting players off the books has been difficult as well but there's still basically I can't tell you what Newcastle are going to do this month and that sounds like an easy cop-out for me and in some ways it is, but that's because Newcastle don't know. You Genuinely, Newcastle and Eddie Howe yet doesn't know what's going to be possible this month. They are seeing if something is going to be possible. They're looking at everything, but whatever they do do may well impact the volume of business they can do in this summer. I thought what was actually quite optimistic there was that it felt like Ashworth almost went slightly stronger than Howe. When Howe had his last press conference, he talked about potentially only bringing people in if the injury list allowed. Whereas when Ashworth was on talking about being remiss about not bringing people in, if the opportunity was there as the right player, the finances made sense. That felt slightly stronger than what Eddie Howe was saying on Friday, which is, I think, like reason to optimism to believe the club might bring someone in this window. And just the other thing to, to kind of follow up on that, it's really important that Eddie Howe isn't the only voice at Newcastle. I mean, for way too long, something we've talked about before, for way too long, the manager or the head coach has been the only focal point at the club. They've ended up having to address things which are way beyond uh, their their remits. And, you know, you can understand that because there's no there's been nobody else to talk to. There's been nobody else to approach. It was just good um, to see somebody else from a position of, of authority speaking in front of the cameras, talking about strategy, being there, being present, being open and discussing it. It sounds like a very simple thing, but at Newcastle it's just not been there. So, you know, very encouraging. Ashworth is a serious, substantive figure. Very good to see him sort of out in the open like that. Absolutely. Uh, Another one as well, Joe White uh, joining Gary Caldwell at Exeter. He's been doing well of late. It's a good opportunity for him. And some notable attendees at the under-21s this week, club legend Nobby Solano was there. And of course, he was at that Leicester game too, along with expected curse merchant Jacob Whitehead uh, for for an experience of St. James's Park. I'm sure you're not going to be a curse going forward, Jacob. I'm sure it's all talk. No, I just want to make completely clear that the sample size is far too small to have called me a curse merchant. That is over. The narrative is gone. It's in the bin with Newcastle's quarterfinal hoodoo. Um, I didn't actually spot Nobby Solano. Um, I, I know he was there. Um, the club tweeted it out um, at the under-21s on on Monday night. It was an absolutely bitter evening. Hoods were up, kind of. You could just see kind of people's eyes, their noses, little round O for their mouths, kind of trying to warm up their hands of a blow. But um, no, good, good experience going to watch the under-21s, even if their kind of recent poor run of form did continue very, very well beaten by a Villa side who, who bullied them quite a lot, to be frank. I tried to persuade Jacob that we only do match reports from St James's topless up here, but um, he wasn't wasn't having a bit Didn't of fall it. Didn't for it. wasn't having a bit of it. Saw, saw right through me. So Newcastle out of uh, one cup through the semi-final of another one, George, but we've got Fulham on the horizon. Alexander Mitrovic coming back to St James's Park uh, at the back end of this week. Should be an interesting game back to Premier League action. 
Yes, absolutely. It's a big one. Newcastle have drawn, a, you know, drawn their last couple of league games, and this is a weekend when it's the Manchester derby, it's the North London derby, and so this feels, you know, in spite of the fact that Fulham in good form themselves, it feels like an opportunity for Newcastle to get a win and to to put a bit a bit more pressure on at the top there. And yeah, looking forward to it, and I think it'll be a brilliant atmosphere after after what happened in midweek. Right then, chaps, shall we uh, we wrap things up? Yeah. Don't forget, go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod where you can pick up a subscription to The Athletic and pay just $1.99 a month for your first year. Thanks a lot, chaps. It's been fun. Jacob, thank you for coming on for your podcast debut. It's been great to have you. Yeah, nice one. Cheers, chaps. Enjoyed it. Lovely stuff. Thanks, Chris. You're very welcome. Go and get some sleep. Yes, thank you. I'll have now. I've got to go and write about Big Dan Burn. So basically, it's Big Dan Burn loving. So watch out for that. Thanks, George. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. Of course it is. That's it from Pod on the Time. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll speak to you very soon. Take care. Enjoy your week. Goodbye. Never gonna beat that bird. He's from Blythe. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.